We're in the middle of a preaching series from the book of Genesis at the moment and this morning we tackle chapter 3 and uh, I will read for us uh, the whole of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Thanks, Brendan. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're the God who has answers. As we look around at our world, we see pain, we see hurt, we see brokenness. And Father, it often makes us just ask, why? This morning we pray that you would help us to see why and help us to see the way forward. Amen. Well, for all its benefits of being isolated, uh, Australia, I mean, you know, it's pretty good, hey? We, we, it's good being in Australia. But for all those benefits of being isolated, I think we seem to have adopted all the really deadly creatures here, don't you reckon? Uh, like, imagine you're walking in a deep part of the bush. You're hiking on a trail. And as you're walking, you feel a little tickle on your neck. And you sort of go, ah, oh, nothing of it, you know, probably a leaf. But then you feel a sharp sting and, oh, something has bitten you. And you don't realise it, but what you do next may actually seal your fate. And what you do next is you decide to walk on and not worry about it. It was probably just a mozzie, it was probably just, you know, a, an ant or something, not, not that big a deal. But then as you walk, the pain gets worse and worse. You start vomiting don't imagine that, okay? That's pretty gross. Uh, and your head is pounding. And it's obvious now, the symptoms are clear. Something deadly has bitten you. But because you walked on, you don't know what did it. The origins of the ven- venom remain a mystery to you. You should have tried to work out what bit you. The only hope you now have is that the doctor can work it out and give you a cure in time. Now, this little story just illustrates, uh, thankfully it's never happened to me, hey, but that's because I never go bushwalking, you know, I'm more a stay-at-home kind of guy. Um, But it illustrates how important origins are. See, our world is broken. I mean, Blind Freddy could tell you that. It's filled with problems and we need to find the original cause if we're going to fix them. You can't agree on a solution if you can't agree on the problem. But for most people, life is so busy Life stops them looking for answers. When your next door neighbour drives to work, he's probably thinking about all the problems he has. The mortgage, man, it's so hard to pay. I'm about to get one in a couple of weeks. Not looking forward to it, eh? Uh, And the credit card bill, it's massive, you know, because we just had, we're just coming out of the end of Christmas and, you know, we're paying it off still. And I'm always at work and it's at a job that I really just don't like anymore and it means I don't see my kids enough and they're struggling at school and plus my marriage, it's starting to look a little shaky. Now, I don't know if some of those problems are ones you identify with. Maybe you identify with all of them and we'll have a chat later if you do. Um, But like you and me, the world is full of real problems. It's, they're, they're there. But today God wants us to stop. Today God wants us to go deeper 
to, to have a look at something startling. See, all these problems are symptoms of a deeper problem. They're symptoms of a relationship with God problem. See, most of us are so busy dealing with these symptoms that we actually miss the real disease. And some of us just deny that there's a problem at all. But the fact that I often hurt hurt the ones I love, the agony and frustration of our lives, it has to make it clear there's something wrong. Now, science is great. I'm a fan of science, you know. I'm very, my wife's having a baby in a little while and she's going to go to hospital and I'm so glad that the science has given all these good medical advances. But science is very limited as to how I can deal with these questions, isn't it? It can't tell me uh, about why the world's broken. It can tell me how the world's broken. And other religions, well, what, uh, I mean, I, I tend to find they tell me just try harder. But when I do, I find it doesn't make much difference. With that approach, I also know that I haven't changed in here, hey? So let's journey back to where Jesus says it all began, where Jesus says it all went wrong. And we see three things about humanity from the first humans that we're going to look at this morning. First, humanity doesn't believe God. Second, humanity decides to blame God. And thirdly, humanity deserves to be banished from God and the first one is humanity doesn't believe God which is crazy when you think about what God is like see Genesis 3 funnily enough comes after Genesis 2 and in chapter 2 we've learnt what sort of a God God is he's a loving God he's a generous God he's a kind God and here's why God made Adam and Eve They didn't make themselves. They didn't just sit there and go, well, you can't sit there and think about how to make yourself because you haven't been made. Uh, God made them. He gave them life. What a gift. They owe him everything. And not only that, but God put them in the garden. He put them into right relationship with him, into paradise where they could eat of any tree they wanted. It was a place full of joy, full of blessing. God is good. It's, it's a bit like the steak knives guy, hey? Do you remember on TV and he'd say, and wait, there's more? That's what it's a bit like with God, hey? Because uh, not only that, but God gave them a privileged job. They were to Edenize all of creation. See, Adam and Eve were told to work and keep the garden in chapter 2, verse 15. But in chapter 1, they're told to rule the whole earth and subdue it. Now, how are Adam and Eve going to uh, work and keep the garden and rule the whole earth and subdue it at the same time? I mean, if they're meant to stay there, well, the only way it can be is that they Edenize all of creation. They spread Eden across the whole earth. God's presence, God's blessing, it's going to be everywhere. That's their job. Pretty good job, I reckon. Very meaningful job. And not only that, but God gave Adam and Eve to each other. God's the first wedding celebrant. And if you're under age 15, just please cover your ears for a sec now. Like literally do it, yeah? Okay, good, yeah. And God invented sex. I mean, that's really cool, isn't it? Uh, You can take your hands off your ears now, yeah. It's hard not to love a God who comes up with really good ideas like that. See, God is awesome. He's not as many people think of him. He's not the God who keeps his wallet closed and, you know, won't pull it out. He's not the God who keeps his gifts locked away only for him. 
God isn't stingy. He doesn't hold out on humanity. He's a good gift giver. It's not like on your birthday when you, you, know, you get that relative who gets that gift for you that's absolutely awful and you smile through your gritted teeth and say, thank you very much. Like, God isn't like that. He's a really good gift giver and he gives the best gifts to the humans, gifts they want, gifts they need, gifts that they will enjoy. And there's only one condition God puts in place to safeguard everything. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if we stopped here, everything was great. It's better than staying at a five-star hotel. It was good. But something changes in verse 1 of chapter 3. We meet the serpent. And Jesus makes it clear in the New Testament that this serpent is actually Satan. It's Satan in disguise. And what is he like? Well, Jesus describes him as a liar and a murderer. And Genesis describes him as crafty and clever. He's no dummy. But he's also a creature. God and Satan aren't equal, sort of battling it out for who will rule the universe. God rules everything and Satan is battling him from here. But even though they're not equal, Satan still God allows Satan to be a threat to the paradise of Eden. And how does he threaten Eden? Well, he becomes the first marketer and advertiser in human history. Now, I used to work in marketing, so I'm not having dig at marketers. But what Satan is marketing is bad and that's why it's not a good thing. He wants Adam and Eve to join his rebellion against God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So imagine for a sec, you'd just been appointed to the head of Sin Marketing Co. How would you have tried to persuade Adam and Eve? What, what approach would you have taken? You know, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, how do I suck them in? Well, the serpent, he does it with three claims. The first claim is he claims God is bad. The second claim is he claims judgment is a fad. And the third claim is he claims rebellion makes you glad. So you've got to make them rhyme so you remember them. Hey? Um, see, first he claims God is bad. Take a closer look at verses 1 to 3 if you've got your Bibles there. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. See, the serpent starts his conversation about God by betraying God as the fun police. The God he describes is strict. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you can't go to the pub with your mates? Did God really say you can't listen to rock music? It's, of course not. But through the back door, he's planted a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. Eve, your God sounds harsh. He has no idea what is good for you. It's sneaky, it's subtle. And we can see that this doubt does take root. See, whilst Eve, she does correct the serpent, she gets it right. She says, hey, no, God said we can eat of any tree in the garden. But all of a sudden, she adds something to the one condition God gave her. See, God said, yeah, you can't eat of the tree in the garden. But Eve says, we can't even touch it. See, all of a sudden she's starting to think, yeah, God is a little 
bit of a killjoy. Maybe God is holding out on us. He's very restrictive. And the serpent tricks Eve into focusing on the only restriction God has made, shifting her focus from all the wonderful blessings and good things that God has given her. See, when I was a kid, I loved playing golf and uh, that was my big hobby that I just loved doing all the time. And my grandparents, who I lived with at the time, had one condition. Please don't make divots on the front lawn. Uh, you know, and you should have seen their lawn after my golfing habit began. Uh, but there were so many other things I could do. They would take me to the driving range. They would take me, you know, all sorts of good places. There was TV. There was computer. There were books to read. There were games we could play together. Heaps of fun stuff. But all I wanted to do was swing the golf club on that lawn. And doesn't Satan do that when we're tempted to sin? See, when we're tempted to sin, we don't count our blessings. We don't thank God for all the good things he has given us. We get tunnel vision on the one thing we aren't allowed to have. And it's probably not good for us anyway. And so we feel cheated. We feel trapped. We feel unloved. But that's not what God is like. He's a good God. But that is when the serpent sees an opening to keep eroding Eve's trust in God. So he claims judgment is a fad. Take a look at verses 4 to 5 with me. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. knowing good and evil. Come on, Eve. No one believes in an angry God anymore. God just threatens you like that because he doesn't want you to have what he's got. God just threatens you like that so people do the right thing. He's holding out on you. God's judgment, that's so old-fashioned. See, why does the serpent cast out on God's judgment? was because one of the key ingredients to sinning, one of the key ingredients to unbelief, not trusting God, which is really what sin is, is thinking that there are no real consequences. See, every time, if you're a bloke here and every time you're tempted to look at porn, do you know what Satan says? He whispers in your ear, no one will know. It doesn't affect your marriage. It doesn't affect you. Just take a little look. It can't hurt. Or every time we hold on to hatred and resentment and just put on a polite face against that person who's wronged us, Satan says, it's our little secret. You're totally justified to hate them. Nothing will happen to you if you do. Don't worry about it. Maybe every time millions of Australians attempted to keep ignoring the Lord Jesus, Satan says to them, yeah, he was an interesting guy but you're so busy and everyone knows hell is just made up. Those Christians are way over the top. God is a God of love. If there's a God at all, keep doing whatever you like. He doesn't mind. See, why is hell, why is God's judgment so despised by a lot of our mates who aren't Christian? It's because if there is a judgment, I'm not free to do whatever I want. (coughs) If there's a judgment, I can't just do what I want. I am answerable to God. See, many a person has wreaked carnage on their relationships 
all in the pursuit of their own happiness. But it's a lie to think there are no consequences. Relationships and us, not just the people around us, but us as well, are mortally wounded when we pursue happiness apart from God. Happiness is great. I'm a big fan of happiness and joy. But it's only found when you do life God's way. And that is why the serpent makes his third claim. The serpent claims rebellion makes you glad. He offers them the power to do what they want. Have a look at uh, verses 5 to 8. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, the serpent has already tried to persuade Adam and Eve that God is not looking out for them. So they need to take care of number one. They need to look out for their own good. <coughs> so he makes them an offer, the chance to be like God. Thanks very much. You can tell I needed it. Um, as Adam and Eve were talking, talking with the serpent, what should Adam as the leader have stepped in and said? He should have said, Serpent, you must be crazy, fool. We're already like God. He made us in his image and likeness. What more could we possibly want than what he has given us? He's been nothing but good to us. Why don't you slither off back to wherever you came from? But sadly he didn't. And the serpent offers them the chance to rival God, to be equals with God, to be independent of God. And so they bought his lie. They thought if they would eat, there would be no longer any restrictions on their knowledge. Knowledge is power and we'll know what God knows. See, what was the fruit that they ate? They, was it the, is God against apples? No. It was the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Before they ate, God had kept them from the ability to choose whether they could do good or evil. Adam and Eve's sin was not just that they made themselves law-breakers, but that they made themselves law-makers. See, God used to determine what was good and evil, but not anymore. They didn't want God to decide for them anymore. They wanted to choose what was good and evil. It was becoming a lawyer. See, if you're a lawyer, you, I, I must admit I've seen a lot of our youth group kids and I love you guys, but they have the ability to find a loophole in everything. Uh, I know it's wrong to lie, but in this situation, surely it's okay. I mean, none of these guys would say that, hey, but, you know. Or, oh, of course it's wrong to gossip, but they really need to know what I'm saying. And in, in, it's because it's me this one time, and I'm sure it's fine. See, God no longer determines what I do. Conveniently enough, it, it's always convenient for me, isn't it? <laughs> the way I twist things just to suit the situation. And that's what it is to eat this forbidden fruit. And so in verse 6 they eat and in verse 7 their eyes were open but they were deceived. 
For while they could see, this seeing wasn't actually for their good. Now they could see they were naked. Now they could see they were vulnerable to the pain they could cause each other. Relationships bring the greatest joy in the universe, but when they are twisted by sin, they can bring some of the greatest pain as well. The husband who cheats on his wife, the children who neglect their elderly parents, the friend who maliciously talks behind the back of their other friend. See, all are a result of our unbelief that God's world done God's way is the best way. Sin promised a lot but delivered nothing but ruin and shame. It's like when you go to Macca's and you see the picture of the beautiful Big Mac that's just perfectly shaped and you order a Big Mac and then you open it up and you find it looks nothing like the picture. Is that your experience? Uh, you know, that's always what happens to me. Actually, I did watch on a program once that they, the, the real perfect ones, are actually they have to like, if you ate it, you'd die basically. It's full of glue and stuff. So, uh, anyway... And so in verse 7 to 8, they cover themselves with fig leaves and they hardly do anything. They hide from God amongst the trees that he gave them to eat. How ironic. And isn't that what we see all around us? People hiding from God by hiding amongst the gifts he gives them. Hiding from God in their McMansions. Hiding from God in their hobbies. Hiding from God in their jobs as they climb that corporate ladder which is really a slippery pole. Uh, distracting themselves, hoping God will go away, hiding from their shame, from their fear, from their vulnerability. But God's gifts aren't meant for hiding from him. They're meant to be enjoyed with him. They can't hide forever. And so God graciously calls out to them. And that is when humanity decides to blame God. See, Adam feels guilty. He feels ashamed. And that's why he hides. But take a look at verses 9 to 13 to see what he does next. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Gee, God's gracious, isn't he? He doesn't just leave him there. He calls out to him. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, God calls him out. And what does Adam do? Oh, he takes responsibility for what he's done. He confesses his fault before God and says sorry. He repents and changes his mind about what God is... No, none of those things are what Adam did. He does the worst thing he could possibly do. He denies his sin. If he confessed it and admitted it, at least there might be a chance they could deal with it. But no, what does Adam do? He doesn't even deny his sin. He blames God. See, the woman you gave me, she made me eat. And Eve isn't much better, she blames the serpent and everyone is pointing in every direction other than that themselves. And we do the same thing today, don't we? Except we're just much more sophisticated at it. If you do wrong, blame your genes, blame your parents, blame your education, blame the environment and blame your circumstances. Say I was just following orders but just don't blame yourself. 
I mean, the most sophisticated way I heard was once at a friend's party. I was talking to an atheist girl about God and, and uh, I had that cracker argument. It's not often that I kind of come up with a good answer. Eh? I usually think of the best answer 24 hours later. Um, and she was saying, no, there's no God. And I said, well, if there's no God, there's no good and evil. Because you need someone who, who's in charge to decide what is good and what is evil. And she said to me, no, don't believe in good and evil. I said, no, come on. You, are you telling me that the Holocaust, that, that, that wasn't evil? Are you telling me that the barley bombings, that they weren't evil? And she responded by saying, well, maybe it was right for them. Who are we to judge? See, if you deny there is a God, if you deny there is evil, then no one is responsible for anything. We're all just accidents, grey matter twitching away and nothing has any meaning, nothing matters, you can do anything you want. And that is just so twisted. It's subhuman. Is that what you want to say to someone who's been the victim of a horrible crime? Hey, look, it's not really evil. John Stott, I think, put it really well. He said, Sin is not only the attempt to be God, it is also the refusal to be man by shuffling off responsibility for our actions. See, we're acting less than human when we won't take responsibility for what we've done. But we must, for it's the only road to reconciliation. It's the only, only way forward is if we own our past. And God knows that you have a past. Because, and I know you have a past because there are things you don't want me to know about. You don't want anyone else here to know about either. Things you want to keep secret. Things you're ashamed of. And how do I know that? How do I know about all these lusts and, and things you have in your heart? Because I've got the same problem. And the only way we can put things right is if we admit to God we're rebels and that we need his help. But Adam and Eve don't. And so humanity deserves to be banished from God. It's obvious our world is broken. It's obvious people aren't good. If you think they are, just stop locking your car. But if the problem is not sin, how do you explain our broken world? How do you explain evil? Ask your non-Christian friends what they reckon. What's the alternative? And God's answer is our world is broken because of sin, because of unbelief in God. Take a look at uh, verses 14 to 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, and that all the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his uh, wife garments of skin and clothed them and here's where it gets really bad. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, God brings punishment on the serpent, humanity and the world. And it's actually a good thing because the curses and pain in our world tell us something isn't right. If God let us keep living in an unbroken world, we wouldn't think we were outside the garden. Even though we were sinful, even though we were cut off from God, we would think, hey, yeah, no, nothing's a problem. It's a bit like, you know, if someone loses feeling in their hand, if they have some nerve damage, and what happens is they lean on a hot stove and they don't realise their hand is burning, it actually becomes worse than what it was before. They don't pull away. And not only that, but it also means that there's justice in the universe. If God didn't righteously punish sin, all evil would go unpunished. Would you want a God who didn't care about the barley bombings or genocide? Now, judgment's not something God delights in. He's not a sadist. It says in Ezekiel, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his righteousness and righteousness oops I've mistyped that uh, and live yet if God is to be just and loving he must punish us the opposite of love is not hate it's apathy hate cares about what you do apathy just lets things get worse and go unchecked so God judges and so the serpent is cursed he's consigned to damnation he's made low moreover he will be at war with the Uh, woman's offspring for what he has done for the man and the woman their punishment is that their world is now fraught with pain frustration and difficulty the woman's pregnancy is now painful now in 16 weeks i'm going to see the pain of that first hand as my wife gives birth to a little baby boy Uh, and bill cosby he described it as like taking your lip and pulling it right over the back of your head, okay? Uh, And from the little I've seen, I actually think he's understating it. Uh, Pregnancy is painful because we live outside the garden. But not only that, the woman will now desire to rule over her husband. To love and cherish becomes to desire and dominate. No longer are they a team. She will try and usurp the authority that God gave him. And he will lead her with selfishness and bullying. It just doesn't work anymore. And what punishment does Adam receive? Well, due to him, the ground is cursed. The one God had made in his image to be king of the earth is now subjected to the soil. Survival is going to be difficult. Work is now a frustration. The other day I had a rent inspection at our house and... um, they last rent inspection they said we hadn't pulled up the weeds. So we were in a little bit of hot water. They were very unhappy. 
And so what I decided to do was I spent the whole afternoon, uh, the week before the rent inspection, pulling up weeds. Oh, man. You know, because I'm really bad at gardening. There were some big ones. So. Uh, but I got the weeds. I sat there and just yanking them up. And do you know what happened within two weeks? More weeds. Yeah, dud. Um, it's just like the way your car always needs maintenance. Why isn't it that my car can just run perfectly for ages? It's because we're living in a broken world where things just stop working. And for all of us, these punishments and curses mean that we can't find fulfilment, meaning. We can't find complete, permanent, perfect joy in this world. And to be honest, if you're trying to find contentment by finding that amazing spouse, you're just setting yourself up for frustration. I love my wife. She is awesome. But I married a sinner. And sadly for her, so did she. We both have a selfish side that makes marriage difficult. Marriage doesn't solve your problems. It just gives you different ones. Anyone who's married knows that. And it's the same with our work. Our jobs don't give us lasting fulfilment. The world is broken. There's always another fire to put out at the office, always another computer freezing. Oh, gee, and if you've got an Apple... Uh, no, well, if you haven't... Yeah, I won't go into Apple versus PC. That's, yeah, won't go there. Um, and there's always another thing going wrong. But it gets worse. Now our race is subject to death. Like our first parents, we say to the giver of life... I want to be independent. I want to do it my way. I don't need you in my life telling me what to do. And when we kick God out of our life, all we get is death, just as Adam did. A death that is both physical and spiritual, to the dust we return. It's not the circle of life, hey, like the Lion King. Okay, sorry to shatter your love of Disney, but... It's not a good thing that people die. It hurts. It's not normal. And it's spiritual because we're banished from God's presence. And if we don't find help soon, it may that be that way for eternity. And as we'll see more in the coming weeks, we are now born outside the garden. This rebellious streak runs in the family. We all, like Adam, don't believe God. We all, like Adam, decide to blame God. We all, like Adam, deserve to be and are banished from the garden. We're banished from God. For we do keep doing the same things Adam did. And we need a change. And this means this is the origin of our broken world. This is the bad news that impacts every human being on earth. And to make matters worse, there is nothing we can do about it. it what, were you sitting there as I read that and thinking, what on earth is the cherubim about and the flaming sword? It's because humanity can't fight its way back into the garden. We can't make our way back into the presence of God, back to eternal life. God sets up guards. That's what the cherubim is. It's, a, it's an angelic guard who is protecting God's holiness because God can't tolerate evil in his presence. If heaven was filled with wicked, sinful, evil people, it would be hell. And so the garden has cherubim and a flaming sword, angelic bounces to keep people like you and me out. 
There's no way back to the garden. The world is broken and unfixable. But thankfully, if I sat down now, you'd probably be pretty depressed. But it's not all over. God delivers a bright hope to humanity. For Christianity is not just bad news. You can't understand the good news so you understand the bad news. But it is good news as well. Genesis 3 gives us a problem too big for us to fix, but God can be trusted. He is good. He's willing and he's capable of fixing our relationship. God shows us mercy. For when you look back over the punishments there, uh, the curses that God dishes out, you notice that whilst God punishes the man and the woman, he never curses them. Satan is cursed. He's set apart for destruction. The man's means to life, the earth, it's cursed. But humanity is spared from any direct curse on them. God hasn't written them off yet. And it's as if there's a glimmer of hope. But the glimmer becomes a brighter beam of light. For in verse 21, God also covers the man and the woman in garments. See, the life of an animal is sacrificed so that Adam and Eve could be fully covered from their naked shame. This is a clear hint of something to come. Not an animal, but a man. The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, who would die so that humanity's guilt and shame would be covered over by his righteousness so that we could be right with God. And that hope becomes even more blindingly clear in verse 15. Take a look there. One of the most important verses in the Bible. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, God promises the serpent crusher, one who will be bruised, struck by the serpent with a fatal blow and yet he will strike the serpent's head, rendering him lifeless. And we spend the rest of the Bible looking for this figure. Who will it be? We look at uh, at Noah. He looks like a good candidate. He's a blameless man, but, well, after the ark he gets drunk. We look at King David, a man after God's own heart, and we think, yes, we've found it. Well, he commits adultery and kills Uriah, the adulteress's husband, to cover it up. You know, one wonders what he would have done if he wasn't a man after God's own heart. We just keep searching and searching in the Bible, looking for that offspring, that seed, who will come and crush the serpent's head, and we can't find it. Everyone, there's promise, but it just never is delivered on until we come to Jesus. He's different. He backs up the promise that's there. Humanity wrongfully tried to climb up to God and take his throne, but Jesus, he's God. See, God has lovingly climbed down off his throne to save and serve humanity. The one who had cursed the ground with thorns for humanity's sin wears a crown of thorns on his own head as he hangs on a cross. And he did it for all of those who, like Adam, had disbelieved and rebelled against God. He did it so that he could turn to the thief on the cross who acknowledges Jesus as king and say, Truly, I say to you, 
today you'll be with me in paradise. A thief! It's amazing. And he did it so that Paul could say to Christians everywhere who share in Jesus' victory by trusting in his death, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. See, if you trust Jesus, this victory over sin and Satan, it's going to one day, it already is in some sense yours, but it's going to be fully realised in the future because of Jesus. See, this world is broken, it can't be fixed, but Jesus is making a new world, a world where it's all Edenized, where all those who trust and live with him as their king, as their decider, are welcome. See, we've got one more passage that we'll look at. Revelation 22, 1-5. Because this shows us the new world Jesus is making. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. With its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit, twelve as in complete, yielding its fruit each month for the people of God. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb uh, and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And their night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever the serpent's rebellion is crushed. This is the world God has promised to those who trust in Jesus. It's the new Eden. And those who will end up there are even now experiencing that change. Yes, I know your marriage is frustrated. I know your job is just a downer most of the time. But as citizens of this Eden, well, if you trust Jesus, you are starting to love your wife better your husband. If, if you trust Jesus, you are finding fulfilment in your work because you ain't doing it for your appetite. You ain't doing it for your boss. You're doing it for Jesus. See, if you're here today and you're a Christian, I want you to do three things. I think we've just got to keep doing them all the time. We've got to look right back to Genesis 3 and go, yep, that's me. That Adam is just like me. I've failed. I've disbelieved God. I've blamed him. I've tried to shift the responsibility. But I look back a little further forward and I see Jesus who died in my place so that now I can trust God. And I look forward into the future and I see what I'm going to be like when Jesus returns and comes and cleans up the mess and that makes me want to live his way because I know his way is best. If that's a Christian, that's what we do all the time. That's just normal Christian living is looking back and looking forward. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, can I just ask you, well, do you have a knowing God problem? Why is the world mucked up? If it's not sin, if it's not unbelief in God, what is it? Do you actually think there is a problem? 
Where will you find answers? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners, who died so that the wicked could enter into heaven and not enter as wicked people, but enter as people who are like Jesus. Father, you are so gracious and loving. Help us not to doubt you, to disbelieve you, to shift responsibility from ourselves when we do wrong. Help us to admit that we've failed but that you haven't. Help us to come to you for forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.